Spring games are in the books, and we are officially in off-season mode here in the Big 12 Conference talking about football. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And let's be honest, the story in the Big 12 coming out of spring games is the Oklahoma Sooners and the fact that this team got 75,000, you heard that right, fans out to a spring game. It's really amazing. You know, I saw, oh gosh, who was it on Twitter? Why am I blanking on his name? Oh, former Oklahoma guy, um, now in media. Gabe Eichert, Gabe Eichert. Gabe's a good guy, does a good job. He tweeted out something funny, and I'm paraphrasing here. It seems like most national media people think that Oklahoma is literally OU's football stadium and like a bunch of farmland and cows and tornadoes. And the fact that they turned out 75,000, everyone's like, whoa, I can't believe this. Holy cow. Who saw that coming? No, that's not the case. And as I'm watching and, and looking at the size of this crowd and how fired up everybody is, it really does feel like Lincoln Riley leaving was something that this fan base needed that they didn't know they needed, if that makes sense. You know, sometimes you break up with a girl or a guy. Uh, if you're a female or whatever. All right. Forget I even went there. You break up with somebody and <laughs> going to get myself in trouble here. I'm not trying to do that. Uh, let's keep it to sports. Keep it to Big 12. All right. So you break up with somebody and you're like crushed. And then three months later, you got a better person for you in your life. And you're like, gosh, that breakup was really the best thing that ever happened to me. You don't feel it and realize it in the moment. But you look back on it and you say, wow, it really was. And I'm not saying Brent Venables is going to be a better head coach than Lincoln Riley. I don't, I don't know that to be the case. Guy's never been a head coach, been a hell of a coordinator. I feel really good about it. I feel great about where Oklahoma football is at and where it's going under Brent Venables. But I, you know, I can't sit here with certainty and say that. But the breakup with Lincoln Riley feels right now, even though we've only played a spring game, it feels like now something that was in a roundabout way necessary. Where uh, the success of Lincoln Riley was, I don't want to say underappreciated, but I do feel like it was to a degree. But there was almost a, not a staleness, that's also probably not a fair word to use. But there was something about Oklahoma where the fan base with the program led by the head coach, was not in this symbiotic relationship. The success was great. It was happening. It was rah, rah, boomer sooner. But was it really in that place where you want it to be, where everybody's loving each other? And I know that, you know, Brent Venables goes and loses, you know, four games this year. It's not going to be as touchy-feely and nice as it does right now uh, for Oklahoma across the board. But still, there's something about how things feel right now that don't feel like they have in a long time for Oklahoma football and the program and the fan base in general. And that is a breath of fresh air. And I think it's going to work out great for Brent Venables and this program moving forward. And there is so much to be excited about when you turn out 75,000 people to a spring game. You got alums there, Baker Mayfield, Heisman Park, the whole thing. That's what really makes it special. That's what makes it unique. And it really does set up for a very, very exciting future 
for the Oklahoma Sooners, for this fan base, and for Brent Venables, who uh, thus far has done everything right. Everything right. In terms of how he's handled the family aspect, how he's handled the fans, the media, he really has done it in a different way. And uh, I don't know if you saw the pictures of the USC spring game next to pictures of the Oklahoma spring game. Let's just put it this way. Let me see. I think I saw the total for the USC spring game. Where was it here? Let me pull this up. Uh, I want to say it was like 25000 give or take, at the Oklahoma. Oh, 33000 at the USC spring game. 75000 at the Oklahoma spring game. But I'm sure tools like Stuart Mandel and Colin Cowherd are going to quick to remind you, it's Southern California. There's things to do. People are surfing. There's a beach. Uh, Complete SoCal elitist goobers is what they are. All right. Stuart Mandel wrote a whole piece last year about how no one's going to Pac-12 games because there's a beach and it's 95 degrees. Uh, These people are so caught up in their own world, in their own bubble. But you know what? If Lincoln Riley wants to keep telling himself that, that everyone's at the beach, that's fine. Have fun with that and, um, you know, enjoy yourself. That's that's no problem at all with me. And let's see how it works out on the field. I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. But you really can't compare the passion between these uh, fan bases and just Big 12 to Pac-12 is, is not close. No matter what some of these guys uh, want to tell you on the national landscape. So that was really the highlight of the spring game. Um, coming out of the spring game, there are some storylines to note in terms of personnel moves. The biggest one to me uh, came down on, I guess it was Wednesday. Blake Shapin is set to be Baylor's starting quarterback in 2022. That is huge news. Our friends at Sikkim 365 had it first. And you think about um, Jerry Bohannon, who was the starter all last year until he got hurt. And then Blake Shapin came in and went 2-0 as the starter. He beat Texas Tech and he beat Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. He was great in the Big 12 title game, completed 82% of his passes, 600 yards, five scores, and no interceptions. And first off, I just didn't think it would happen this early because here's what ended up happening. We learned on Wednesday Jerry Bohannon is entering the transfer portal as a grad transfer. That according to 247 Sports. So this is how you end up being fairly thin in the quarterback room. Now, you know, Baylor's got talent there. Um, I understand that, but this is why also in big-time college football, you can't have a backup, like a backup quarterback that you really trust. It's, it's sad, but it's true. Because if the guy can play, if the guy's been a starter, then guess what? You are going to lose him. And that's what happened. Bohan is now looking for essentially a new gig. He's looking for a new place to play in 2022. And I don't blame him for doing that. It's it's the world that we now live in in big-time college athletics. But I thought that if this were going to be the case, that Dave Aranda might wait until later in the season to try to keep both guys. But maybe in fairness, and this is where I respect Dave Aranda, and he seems like this kind of guy, where he's going to say, listen, I know Blake's my guy. Out of respect for Gary Bohannon, let me tell him that. That way, if he wants to go try to start somewhere, he can go do that. Instead of me pretending and drawing this out until the summer, and then it's too late for him to go anywhere, and then he's stuck here, and he's back up, and is that fair to a guy you know who paid his dues throughout the last several years at Baylor? 
if that's how it went down, I respect the heck out of Dave Aranda for doing it that way. And that would be, you know, right by the kid, even if it hurts him, which it does theoretically hurt him because it means his quarterback room is not nearly as experienced behind Blake Shapin. But I, you know, based on what I saw of Blake Shapin, the, the ceiling is definitely higher for Blake Shapin than it is for Gary Bohannon. Bohannon was a nice player, but if I'm looking at who has the higher ceiling, there's no doubt. It's Blake Shapin. Not a question in my mind. It's Blake Shapin, especially since he's got a couple of years left of eligibility, which should be noted as well. So now you've got Shapin in what was maybe not the most watched quarterback battle in the Big 12 this offseason. There's many of them. The most watched is probably Texas, but I, with Texas, I'd be stunned if it was anybody but uh, five-star transfer Quinn Ewers. I mean, I would be stunned if it's anybody else. And then Texas Tech's got itself a good quarterback battle as well. West Virginia had one, but then JT Daniels came in, and, you know, it's going to be JT Daniels. We all know that. At Iowa State, it's going to be Hunter Deckers. Um, maybe you got one at Kansas. but And TCU. You know, TCU's got a quarterback battle as well worth watching with uh, Max Duggan, of course, the multi-year starter, against Chandler Morris. And with what Chandler Morris did at TCU last year, late in the season when Duggan went down, I wouldn't be shocked if Chandler Morris is kind of the Blake Shapin at TCU, where Morris, despite the fact that he only got in there because of an injury, he ends up uh, getting the starting nod because his ceiling is higher than Max Duggan's. And that's something that should be noted as well. So it's going to be very interesting to watch that one play out too. And see how the offseason goes for the TCU Horn Frogs, of course, now under Sonny Dykes, too. It's a different scenario, different situation. So a lot of moving parts of the Big 12, a lot of offseason storylines in football to talk about here as we move forward throughout the show. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. It's great to have you on board. Joining the show, so somebody is leaving, and I'm glad they are leaving. I will tell you who coming up next on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Boy, am I glad this guy is gone, uh, or going to be gone, I should say. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. If you're on the podcast, instead of the radio show, leave us a rating and a review, and uh, send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And we'll make sure that you get a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you do that. Screenshot Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. Mark Gammert is leaving as NCAA president. Yes, thank goodness. Mark Gammert making that announcement. It will be effective June 30th of 2023. And I'll tell you what, um, better guy couldn't go. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Mark Emmert will, his legacy will have been overseeing essentially the demise of any type of power within college athletics. Now, you may say, this free agency stuff is great. No, it's not. And Mark Emmert, by the way, Mark Emmert's the guy who, after the Jayhawks won the national title, said, congratulations to the Kansas City Jayhawks. Oh, Mark, you do this for a living. This is a blue blood. You just called them the Kansas City Jayhawks, you goober. What are you doing? 
Um, anyway, Mark Emmert's legacy is going to be the guy that oversaw the demise of the NCAA, uh, the neutering of the NCAA, and the guy who buried his head in the sand hoping that today's environment would never happen. That's his legacy. Because now we have a world where every year is free agency in college athletics. It's not healthy for the sport. I mean, I've talked about this plenty of times in recent weeks on the show. It's not a good situation for college athletics to be basically uh, one-year deals with free agency. It's not good. I'm understanding of giving players more power. You know, the system 10 years ago is probably not an entirely fair system. I'll give you that. Is this system right by the universities, the programs, and the coaches? No, it's not. My thoughts have been, my answer, my solution to this is, wherever you sign out of high school, you got to give them three years unless the coach leaves. That's it. If the coach leaves, go where you want. But if the coach is there, three years commitment, you got to give to that school. And then if you want to transfer without sitting out a year, okay, that's fine. Heck, I'll even give you a little bit more if you want it on the other end. You can transfer in the first three years, but then you got to go by the old rules where you transfer and sit out a year. All right? But this now, free agency every year, name, image, likeness, which is really just figuring out how many rich donors you can get to pay your players, is not a good system for young men or for college athletics. And I know, well, the coaches leave whenever they want. Coaches can do whatever they want. I understand that argument, but we've swung the pendulum way too far the other direction. And Mark Emmert's personally responsible for that because he didn't want to take a leadership role in what was obviously happening in front of his eyes. And then it was like left up to the states and then conferences, and it was breaking up in so many different directions. The NCAA, the only thing the NCAA is useful for is March Madness. That's it. College football does not need the NCAA. It's an antiquated, useless entity at this point. And Mark Emmert's leaving it in absolute shambles. And you know what? If he could leave tomorrow, if he could leave yesterday, I wish he would leave yesterday. I don't know why they're letting him hang out another year. He's not going to do anything as a lame duck over the next, you know, 14 months. Just get him out. So it's um, it's not a good legacy. It's one that should not be celebrated. And he may be a fine man and a fine individual, and that's all well and good. But in terms of... Uh, what his legacy is going to be, it's not there. It's not one that I'm going to sit here and, and go, oh, Mark Emmer. Let's just put it this way. I'm not throw. You can do it. I'm not throwing the Mark Emmert retirement party. That's on you. Have a blast doing it because I'm not. No way, no how am I doing that. Not, not a chance. Not a chance. Meantime, uh, we've got the NFL draft coming up this week, and most mock drafts show the Big 12 without a first-round pick. It stinks. I wish that was not going to be the case. Now, maybe we'll be surprised. I've seen some NFL mock drafts with uh, Jalen Petrie, Baylor defensive back, possibly uh, making his way into the first round, and that would be great. Be happy for him. Fine player. And um, certainly, I think he's going to be a very solid player in the draft. But uh, it is concerning 
when you don't have any first-round picks. And by the way, that would be the second straight year of zero Big 12 teams having players selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Now, you can make the argument, and hey, I'm as big a Big 12 guy as anybody, all right? You can make the argument that, well, hold on a second here. The Big 12 only has 10 teams. A lot of these conferences have more than that. We should do it on a per team or, you know, a uh, how many teams are in your conference and then divide that number by how many players are selected in the first round and do it on a per team basis, basically. Well, guess what? You divide zero by anything, it's zero. (laughs) That's just the reality. It's zero. And last year, the Big 12 didn't have a player selected in the NFL draft until the Bears took Tevin Jenkins at Oklahoma State at number 39. Then it was uh, Trevon Moreg, TCU defensive back, at uh, 43 to the Raiders. Then it was the Washington football team, Samuel Cosme, Texas offensive lineman. And after that, you go down to Creed Humphrey, Kansas City, picking him the center in the late second round. Second to last pick of the second round, Joseph Asai, Texas defensive end in the third round. Now, so... I know it's, you know, it's not good for the Big 12. I'm not here to sugarcoat that. And I'm not thrilled that the Big 12 has itself a scenario here where there's going to be no first-round picks. But let's not forget, the Big 12 did have back-to-back number one overall picks in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, right? So that's notable. Um, And when you went back those couple of years, the Big 12 on a per-team basis did do pretty darn well. When you think about... um, how many players were selected in the draft on a per-team basis based on the fact that the Big 12 only has 10 teams, at least as of right now, and, you know, you got other conferences with 14. Now, I have seen mock drafts for what it's worth with the Bills taking Brees Hall, Iowa State running back, in the first round. That would be interesting, and I think Brees Hall's a first-round worthy pick. It's more about the position that he plays that no one respects anymore. I mean, the running back is a dime a dozen, it feels like, in today's NFL, so you may not take a running back in the first round. But if you have a chance at Brees Hall and you think that you compare him with Josh Allen and you've got yourself, uh, you know, a heck of a one-two punch there for the Bills who, you know, are a game or two away from making a Super Bowl, then maybe you go down that road with Brees Hall. And that would be awesome for Iowa State to have a running back taken in the first round. That'd be fantastic for the program and for the league. But I don't know if it's a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. So the reality is it's going to be tough for the Big 12. It is. But I also don't look at it and say it means the Big 12 is not competitive in football. I still believe the Big 12 after the SEC and the Big 10 is the third best football conference in America. The ACC has Clemson. The Pac-12 has maybe Oregon. Maybe USC if Lincoln gets that thing back on track. But you think about this league with the depth that it has and also the fact that I think you're going to see a lot of improvement in the NFL draft caliber and the NFL draft talent out of this conference moving forward with what Iowa State is doing, with what Dave Aranda is doing at Baylor. So Matt Campbell, Dave Aranda, uh, obviously Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, I think you're going to see improvement from Texas Tech on this front. Uh, so there's reason to be optimistic. And then you got, of course, four new teams coming in who could provide NFL talent who are all going to be recruiting better once they get into this league. So 
I don't think it changes the hierarchy by any stretch of the imagination when you think about the Big 12 and where it is in the Power Five. I'm willing to admit SEC, Big 10 are the top two, and uh, that gap between two and three is probably going to grow over time. I'm not naive to that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it or BS you about it. But I'm also not going to sit here and say, oh, the Big 12 is, you know, the fifth of five Power Five conferences because look at the NFL draft. It's more than just that, all right? There is more to it than just that. And football is such a team sport. The individual talent matters, but just ask Texas what it's like to have a lot of individual talent and if it's just about individual talent in the NFL and how far that ultimately gets you. That's the nuanced conversation that people who want to, you know, actually have the conversation need to discuss. I'm Pete Mundo. That wraps it up for us on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Hey, take 30 seconds, please. Leave me that five-star rating. Leave a little review if you could. And then send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And we'll get you hooked up with a Heartland College Sports koozie. It's the only way to get your hands on one. We appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.